0: Humming bears, a red wish tree, a gorilla who lives in a shopping mall. You'll find all of these fantastical images and more in the children's books of Catherine Applegate. Applegate is a New York Times bestselling author. She's been writing for children for over 20 years. She and her husband, Michael Grant, co-wrote the popular Animorphs series. Her book, The One and Only Ivan, won a Newbery Medal. And this year, Applegate published a new book, Willa Dean. It's the story of an 11-year-old girl who loves animals and wants to care for the earth. Today, we're delving into the world of children's literature. We'll learn how Applegate inspires kids to foster a love of reading and a curiosity about the world around them. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled.
0: So in the About page on your website, you introduce yourself by writing, Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm a writer. It's not as easy as it seems. It is, however, the best job on the planet. What makes it so hard, in your opinion? Oh,
1: where to start? Um, That's actually a reference to the first line of the one and only Ivan, where he remarks that it's not as easy to be a gorilla as it looks. I think uh, writing is absolutely the best job on the planet and uh, probably the most difficult part of it is that it's a very isolated job you're you know you're sitting alone in a little room with imaginary friends dancing around in your brain and uh, that can be a little a little frustrating sometimes one of the best parts of being a children's author is the opportunity to do school visits and I have found uh, not only is it uh, wildly reassuring that you know the, the world might survive after all. But it's also really inspiring because I'm reminded of my audience. I love writing from middle grade particularly. That's typically around 8 to 12, uh, because those kids are so, so, so into books. And they, uh, they tell you how they feel. They don't mince words. They, when they love a book, they, they love it with all their heart. And that is so gratifying.
0: I understand that you hated to read when you were growing up, huh?
1: <laughs> and I, I fully admit that at school visits, I can sometimes see the librarians and teachers cringing. Uh, but I think it's reassuring to kids. I, as it happens, I have a daughter who has dyslexia. And of course, that can make it very challenging. But with the right teachers and help, you can, you can, um, more than overcome it. In my case, though, it was just I thought it was boring. <laughs> it was kind of like math. I don't, I don't see the point. And for me, the turning point was when Mrs. Gray, my third grade teacher, read Charlotte's Web to us, and that was my what I call my best friend book.
0: What did you like most about Charlotte's Web? Which were you in? <laughs>
1: You know, um, I was doing an interview yesterday, um, and, and someone asked me that, and I thought, my first thought was, well, you know, the charming animals. I loved animals. as a kid, I still do, and I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was growing up. So here was this fully realized menagerie, and that was that was really exciting to me. But I honestly think it was the um, exquisitely painful ending that in a way connected me to the world of books because you realize wow books can make you feel things books can you know put you in someone else's head and change you and that's uh, there's a there's a great quote i love i think it's Jean reese um fiction makes immigrants of us all and I, I think that's so true. It moves you into a different world for a while. So I, I think that's probably what grabbed me.
0: You mentioned that when you were younger, you wanted to become a vet. So how then did you become a writer?
1: Well, I, um, I worked for a vet in high school and that pretty much, you know, convinced me that it wasn't the line of work. For, mostly what I did, I did assist in surgery, but for the most part, I cleaned up a lot of dog poop. So I realized I was much more interested in the internal workings of animals Uh, Staring at my dog and trying to figure out what the heck he was thinking, if anything, other than is food coming. And um, that really fascinated me. I went on to get a degree in English. And then of course, as most English majors do, I promptly became the world's worst waitress and did that for several years because I was so afraid. I I was terrified of exposing myself uh, by writing. It seemed like such an embarrassing way to fail until I realized I was a pretty lousy waitress. Maybe I should just go ahead and be embarrassed in a whole new way. And it took me a while. I became a ghostwriter. And to you know, dip my toe into the water that way, I ghosted for people like uh, Disney. I wrote, boy, I know Mickey Mouse and Aladdin inside out. Uh, I did 17 Sweet Valley Twins, which um, uh, librarians and teachers of a certain age will recall and um, gradually learned about the process of writing. It was really a great way to learn.
0: And you are okay with being sort of behind the scenes there, but I'm sure there was a point you said to yourself, you know what, I want my name to be out there with this work.
1: I, I did, but it, it was slow in coming. Uh, there was an intermediate period where I worked with my husband, Michael Grant, and we did this series called Animorphs. It was about kids who could turn into animals. It was a, a Nickelodeon TV show at the time. And that came out monthly. That was a, There was a time where books were coming out, Goosebumps, Babysitter's Club, on a monthly basis, which is kind of remarkable when you think about it. And uh, we had a new baby at the time and drank a whole lot of Coffee to keep us going. But that was another step in the learning curve. And then I finally decided to write what I called a real book, and that had my name on it. Which was? The first was called Home of the Brave. It was a free verse novel. Um, I was living in Minneapolis at the time. There were all these uh, brave, fascinating, uh, hardworking Sudanese refugees coming in in the middle of winter, by the way. Um, and i thought wow how tough must it be to be a, a kid having to adapt to you know new language new customs new school and on top of that have you know 10 foot snowdrifts to deal with so i i wanted to write about it and did lots of research ended up using a, a free verse as kind of a way to get a, a sense of what learning a new language is like and the book is still in print and used to this day a lot of times in one School Reads, which is is really gratifying.
0: We're going to get to talking about your new book, Willow Dean, but I want to talk about the one and only Ivan for a moment. What inspired you to write a book about a gorilla living in a glass cage in a shopping mall?
1: A New York Times article. <laughs> and I always tell kids, you know, this the news is, uh, for better or for worse, an endless uh, source of story possibilities. And there was a headline and it read, a gorilla sulks in a Tacoma mall while his future is debated. And I was shocked and appalled and fascinated and started doing research. So um, even as I was working on the book, Ivan was eventually released to Zoo Atlanta where he was able finally to be around other Western lowland gorillas, but he spent 27 years in that mall.
0: Wow. How do you write first person gorilla? I mean, what are you thinking about? (laughs)
1: with great difficulty it's funny because i i fully admit i a knew nothing about gorillas and b found them kind of intimidating and um, of course they're incredibly intelligent and gentle creatures and the more i learned uh, the more I, i i felt like i could get a little window into ivan's world and i did all the things i love research it's a great way to procrastinate for one thing Um, And I I went to the Tacoma Public Library archives, and they had these huge boxes filled with yellowing uh, stories about Ivan and his babyhood. He lived with uh, a family for a while and grew up sort of as a human, wore human clothes, rode motorcycles, went to baseball games. And that was so fascinating uh, to try to imagine what that must have been like to be ripped from... You know your family in Africa, and um, suddenly put in this totally bizarre human world. Um, he developed a taste for things like Diet Pepsi and <laughs> a few other bad human habits along the way. So, sorry, that was my watch. Did you hear that? Yes, I did. Your watch <laughs> so does not sorry. fully
0: understand. It's hard <laughs> to wrap your head around, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, so it was, um, it it took quite a while I did, of course, talk to um, uh, primatologists and, um, you know, went to zoos and did all that. At the end of the day, when I finally had a manuscript, I went to Zoo Atlanta flew down there with my daughter who was about 10 and I wanted to see Ivan and I was waving this manuscript going hey look I wrote a book about your gorilla and they're like yeah (laughs) yeah right lady Uh, so it was raining and Ivan was notorious for hating wet weather he was so averse to getting his feet wet that he had burlap bags that he would put on the grass and place one in front of the other so he wouldn't have to get wet and I knew with all that rain, he was never going to come out. But uh, we sat there for about two hours. And it was weirdly gratifying to know that this poor animal who had been captive for so long could have some control over his environment.
0: Mm, yeah. You've also written from the point of view of a red oak in the book, Wish Tree.
1: Indeed. Uh, that I think one of the wonderful things about using a non-human main character is it allows you to look at human behavior from a different perspective. And that was another book that was uh, catalyzed by a news article, I think it was, um, it was in the Midwest, it was a Muslim family that had moved into a new home and uh, someone put a note on the door that said go away or something to that effect. And it was so horrifying and such a reflection of where we were at that moment. Um, that I I was really outraged. Sometimes I think anger is uh, an absolutely wonderful fuel for writing, because if you're passionate about something, it gets you through those rough patches. So I decided that a wish tree uh, there, wish trees are all over the place, by the way. I did not realize this, but people place wishes and hopes on their little pieces of paper and tie them to trees. and I thought that uh, using an, a tree that had been around in a community of immigrants for a long time would be a wonderful way for um, me to explore the the good and the bad of human behavior.
0: So let's talk about your latest novel, Willadine. Dean. It's about a girl who risks everything to help a handmade creature who comes to life. What inspired this book?
1: Well, interestingly enough, Coyotes. <laughs> I live, I live in los angeles um, and urban coyotes are uh depending on whom you talk to either an incredible nuisance and blight or the, just an amazing part of living in a, a chaotic city environment i'm i fall into the latter category i think they're you know they're amazing but um we happen to have a den of pups in the empty lot next door and as soon as we moved in, I started hearing stories about how uh, cats and dogs were disappearing at rapid rate. So I was trying to figure out how to um, how to take my appetizer sized pets and uh, and keep them safe while simultaneously allowing coyotes to do their thing. We ended up with what they call around here a catio, a patio for pets, and uh, they you know they they all live happily. Uh, But it got me to thinking about biodiversity and about, you know, the symbiotic relationships that we have and the uncertain and difficult relationships we often have with the natural world. And of course, climate change. I mean, it, it was everywhere. It is everywhere. You can't look out the window without thinking about it. So... Those were the little bits and pieces that led to wilting.
0: You mentioned that you love research. How did you go about researching for this book and what did you learn?
1: You know, you, the, the thing that really struck me about this book was there were so many, unfortunately, so many eco crises I could have chosen in the real world uh, to work with. And I considered that. I, in fact, I, there is a, a species that I created in the book called humming bears they're sort of a cross between hummingbirds and tiny polar bears and they build beautiful crystalline bubble nests that glow all night they're a huge tourist attraction and i had in mind monarch butterflies which um, are um, in decline i had gone to the pacific grove monarch butterfly sanctuary a few years ago and it's just glorious these pines and eucalyptus trees are just covered in orange. So I could have gone with monarchs, for example, but I realized I wanted to create species that um, would be fun for kids and that could be relatable no matter where you lived. And of course, you know, I had an ulterior motive in that creating your own species is so much fun.
0: That leads me into my next question. Does fantasy make it easier for you to approach darker, more complex topics for kids?
1: You know, that's a good point. I I do think that's true very often. I think it's really important, especially at this age, because middle graders are becoming very aware of the world. You can't, as much as we want to protect them, you can't hide them from the reality. They can look out the window and see smoke and hurricanes and... Um, And so I think it's important to approach it in a way that leaves them feeling with some honest hope. And sometimes fantasy is a way to do that. There's a little bit of a remove and just enough that you can objectify the experience. And in the case of Willa Dean, she's um, an 11 year old girl who has an entire family perished in a fire. There are frequent fires in, in her neck of the woods. And, uh, she finds healing and solace in nature and, in fact, is fascinated by creatures called screechers who were uh, <laughs> coyote adjacent in my, in my worldview. They are a nuisance species I created, and they look like purple warthogs. They smell like skunks uh, all too often, and um, they are, there's a bounty on them. They're disappearing rapidly. And Willa Dean is determined to figure out um, why both screechers and Humming Bears are disappearing from the place that she lives
0: and loves. Who was the inspiration for your protagonist, Willa Dean?
1: Oh, <laughs> so many people, but I like to think of her as sort of a. Uh, she's got a hint of Greta Thunberg in her, the Swedish climate activist who is, you know, so amazing and has galvanized so many young people. Um, Willa Dean is, is you know, blunt and um, not afraid to speak the truth, and absolutely fascinated by nature. And then I think there's a little dollop of Jane Goodall in there, too, because she loves to sit in the natural world and observe. And um, she has a sort of mathematical bench. She's counting the number of creatures that are disappearing day by day and trying to make connections in that natural world with uh the simultaneous disappearance of humming bears
0: what are you hearing from kids these days about that issue and their concerns
1: you know it's so fascinating to me that uh this generation is they're already galvanized they're already energized and i give a lot of credit to teachers and librarians over this past decade or so i know my own kids i remember them having uh Stem segments, you know, where they focused on, you know, water use and that kind of thing, and we were counting how long it took us to brush our teeth and, and I I think they've grown up with the idea that the earth is in jeopardy, and that humans are responsible, and that they are going to be the generation hopefully that leads us out of this, um, this really deep quagmire we've created.
0: Do you see a book like this as being part of the solution to help bring about real change?
1: Oh, I, I would love to think so. But I, what I think it might do is um, provide uh, an example of uh, a young person who is willing to speak the truth and be her truest self and in the process um, make a small change. And at the end of the day, that's how it's going to work. It's going to be a whole lot of us making small changes, um, painful changes, but I do, I truly do believe that there is still hope. And, um, if you have any doubt, you know, go spend a day with a, a fourth or fifth grader and you'll, you'll know I'm right.
0: How would you say books for young readers have evolved over the years?
1: Oh, it just in the most wonderful ways. Um, they, they touch on all kinds of topics. Uh, I, I can't tell you how often I'll, I'll read a book or blurb a book and, and so wish that it had been around you know when I was 10 years old. They touch on things like OCD and depression. Um, the, the diversity of books is absolutely exploded. Um, and that's wonderful because we're seeing all kinds of authors from all kinds of backgrounds. And I think that's a really big change in the in the marketplace, and it's wonderful to see.
0: So important for a child to see themselves reflected in a book, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: How has your writing evolved over the years through your conversations with young people?
1: You know, I think it's really important that I kept that I have kept in touch with kids over the years. You know, your own kids grow up and change, and you kind of forget what an eight year old. Um, thinks and feels sometimes and um I've been I think over the years inclined to get a little darker to go a little deeper because I've realized they can handle it you know very t- very often it's it's we adults it's the mom in you that's that's going no I don't you know, I don't want Charlotte to die and um and kids can handle that and so I think that's helped me um to Go to a level of complexity that I might not have you know twenty years ago.
0: How do you test out those ideas?
1: <sighs> mostly in my my head. Um, I used to use my kids as guinea pigs, um, willing or not they were they were always around, and um, now i I feel like I have a better instinct for it uh, than i than I did. Sometimes I think there's a tendency in all of us to want to write books for our adult selves. I've, t- I've heard writers say, oh no, I just write, I write the book I need to write. And uh, if it works for a kid, great. And I, I differ on that. I think you write a book for a child because a child is a different kind of person um, in part because they are more optimistic and open and that you know it's wide open what you can do as a
0: result. How do you approach writing a picture book differently than writing a novel, for instance?
1: picture books are so funny because everybody thinks they're easy to write i've only done a handful um they're so short but of course they're completely like poetry and in the case of uh, when you're not an illustrator and you're just writing the text you're collaborating off often with someone who's invisible you're writing that text and you have to leave all this room for the images to blossom you have to think about things like page turns which you know can be huge in a picture book it could be you know you can be going from from uh set to punchline for example so they're they're tough to write they're tough to write i have great admiration for people who uh, who do
0: it well you've said that even into college you were a slow reader now do you take your own experiences into account when you're writing books for kids keeping in mind that some kids could be slow readers
1: I think, I am i don't know if I'm a lazy writer or um, a slow reader or a, the combination has led me to write books that tend to have a lot of white space. I mean, I'm probably a frustrated poet is what it comes down to. I loved writing uh, The One and Only Ivan and The One and Only Bob and Home of the Brave, all of which had tons of white space. In part with Ivan, that was to sort of convey his very isolated, grim existence it was also a way for a reluctant reader to look at say chapter one and see that it's about three or four lines and go, wow, I could actually read, read this. My, um, my daughter, when she was little, used to call them fat books and it was, it was a real badge of honor to, to carry around a fat book. So, uh, I, I do still write that way. I write very short chapters. Um, and, um, hopefully try to keep it kind of small and clean and that just that just works for me some people write you know chamber music and some people write symphonies.
0: What is your advice to getting reluctant readers to read if you have a kid who simply does not want to pick up a book?
1: Well first of all be open to everything and um, I think teachers and librarians have become uh, real advocates for this point of view a graphic novel is a book, let them, let them, you know, immerse themselves in something like Captain Underpants pants or uh, Dogman. They're fantastic and they're fun. Um, don't be averse to uh, a kid who wants to read picture books. Picture books are a wonderful way to be reminded how, how much fun reading is. Um, if they want to only read uh, News. That's okay. If they if they read song lyrics, it doesn't matter. It's all reading, and one thing leads to another, leads to another. So be completely open. If it's if it's a word on a page, go for it.
0: What about an audiobook? Can that be a gateway? Do you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, for my daughter with dyslexia, audiobooks were a huge boon. And uh, they can be so much fun. Danny, Danny DeVito, who played uh, voiced Bob the dog in the One and Only Ivan movie, actually did the audiobook for the One and Only Bob. And to me, it's more fun to listen to him than to read it. <laughs> it's just, you know, he just he just brings it to life. So that's absolutely a great a great way to get kids to love books.
0: What are among the kids' books you think adults should read, yours or otherwise? <laughs>
1: um, you know, I can I can tell you some some authors um, that I love and there, oh, there are so many. I'm sitting here with a to-be-read pile that's, you know, towering. And um, that's, you know, that's a good problem to have. Jason Reynolds is um, a wonderful, energetic, um, edgy writer that a lot of kids embrace. I love Kate DiCamillo. Everything she writes is is gorgeous. Uh, Rebecca Stead's books have this beautiful lyricism about them, but but she really understands um, middle graders and tweens, and it's 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 just you you can't read it and not come away feeling um, feeling like you understand kids better. Um, Gary Schmidt is wonderful. Um, I'll see now I'm just going to go down the rabbit hole. I love Jennifer Childenko's books because they combine history and humor. I love, uh, Linda Urban because she's, uh, just got this wonderful gentle touch. I mean, it's just, there's so many and that's, what's so wonderful. I just read, um, a book that, uh, is coming out called Frankie and Bug and it features, um, a young child who's dealing with gender identity issues. And that you would never have seen that, um, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. And for some kid, that's going to be life changing.
0: What's your advice for aspiring young writers today?
1: You know, it's the funniest thing I have noticed, especially in the last few years, kids who (laughs) have come upon a story about some 18 year old who gets a seven figure advance. And, you know, we don't like those people anyway, but um that that is not the norm the norm is that you learn to write slowly and you know hopefully you go to college and you you take your time and you learn the craft and find your voice and so I try to remind them it's not about getting published I always ask kids if have you ever read uh, have you ever told a story have you ever Uh, thought about a story in your head have you ever written one down and they always raise their hands of course and then i say well welcome to the profession you are a writer because you don't have to publish and so that's that's part a it's very important for them to know that Uh, and the other thing is to write from your heart to write from your passion and your anger and if you don't want to share that with anyone that's okay the story belongs to you and you alone And uh, your particular view of the world is special and and unique and important and so cherish it.
0: Was there a piece of advice that you received when you were coming up as a writer that has stuck with you most?
1: Just mostly keep your butt in the chair. it's that's i think sometimes for me the very hardest part um you know when you're in the zone and you you love what you're doing on a particular day oh then you could write all day but there are a lot of days where it's a slog it's a job like any job and so i i've had to learn that um there are days when you think, Oh, this is the best thing I have ever written. And three days later, you are going to think it needs to go in the trash. I almost threw the one and only Ivan away as a matter of fact, because of that. Wow. And so you learn those peaks and valleys happen as the more you write, and then you could go, Oh yeah, I'm having a bad day. It'll pass.
0: What are the benefits of having a spouse in the house who is also a writer?
1: oh having an in-house uh reader is fantastic and uh, my husband Michael is especially good at plot I'm especially weak at plot so it's wonderful when I get uh, you know stuck in a corner and I'll I'll go I I can't do this I am you know this is the wrong job for me I'm going back to waitressing and he'll go you know take a breath and uh, we figure it out so that's very helpful very helpful
0: Are you often multitasking various book projects at the same time, or are you just focused on the one character while you're writing?
1: Oh, I think it's great to have backup books. Um, A lot of writers I know do this. So if you're having a particularly bad day with that middle grade novel, maybe you go play with a picture book and it moves your brain in a whole different direction. Sometimes I, I always say that writer's block is an invention of melodramatic narcissistic writers, um, which is pretty much all writers because you aren't allowed to have, you know, a dad block or, and, uh, you know, we don't have truck driver block and we don't have teacher block. It's, it's purely a way of saying, hey, I've, I've hit a problem in my writing. I think the melodrama doesn't necessarily help. (laughs) So I've learned to just say, hey, you know, we'll get through this.
0: Catherine, thank you so much. Such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been great. You can learn more about Catherine Applegate's books by visiting her website, catherineapplegate.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. My thanks to producer Abby Delk. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks so much for listening.